Uh, let's uh, open up our Bibles, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for these words that we have been able to sing. Oh, great God. And I pray this morning you'd help us to see some of your greatness for who you are. You are good. And Lord, we confess there's some mornings we come here and we struggle to believe that. That you are good. And that you have plans and purposes for our lives. And so we trust in you this morning as we hear your word, that you are good, and that you will speak to us in exactly the way we need to hear, for this is the very word of God. So help us to listen. Help us to worship you by listening. Help me to worship you by preaching. And help our focus and mind be on you. And so, Lord, I pray all these things. In your precious name, amen. I want to begin by telling a story of a young girl. This young girl, she was nine years old, and she had a very, very difficult, difficult day. She's in primary school, and she had to wake up for school and be in school for nine o'clock in the morning. She had loads of classes that day. She had maths, she had English, and she had Irish. You know, with all the Irish words, uh, busca brusker, milshawn, leheris, those are the only words I know. (laughs) Cockamillish, that's about the extent of my Irish. Uh, This girl, she had all her classes that day. She even had PE. She was exhausted from PE that she had that day. Then at the end of the day, she thought, okay, I'm finished. I'm finished school today. I have nothing left, but she forgot that she had gymnastics. And normally she loves gymnastics, but she was so tired, she didn't really want to go, but her, her mom made her go, so she went. She did her gymnastics. She got home, and when she got home, she thought she had finished, but she had the dreaded homework. She still had to do all her homework. And then as she finished her homework, she was absolutely exhausted, and her daddy got the plate of dinner, and her daddy put the plate of dinner in front of this little girl, and she ate it all up. And when she had finished, she just walked away from the dinner table, but she forgot to say the two magic words, thank you. She had forgotten where the dinner had come from. And as she walked away from the table, do you know what happened? The daddy, he was standing there and he was very sad. Because that night, it was his turn for dinner duty, which makes this not a real story. It was his turn for dinner duty, so he was on dinner, but he was very upset because the girl had forgotten to say the two magic words, thank you. And he had a really hard and busy day. 
He woke up early in the morning, earlier than the children. He dropped them off to school. He went to work. He had all these emails coming in, all these phone calls coming in, a really busy day. He finished his day. He rushed home. He ran into Aldi, which again, doesn't make this a true story, ran into Aldi, got all this food from the shelf. And what did he forget to do? As he grabbed the food from the shelf, he forgot to say the two magic words, thank you. He had forgotten where the food had come from. And then there's Farmer Joe. Poor old Farmer Joe is standing in the farm there one day, and he wakes up early every morning, and he does hard work, whatever farmers do, I don't know, work in the plow or whatever he does, and he was working in the farm hard all day, and he is so sad because he's like, I do all this work, I gather all the food, I do everything with the crops, I get it out to the shops, and nobody says the magic words, thank you. But as the farmer gets the food from the field, he has forgotten to say the two magic words, thank you. Because where ultimately does the food come from? Where does it come from, Dahlia? The food, where does it ultimately come from? It comes from God, exactly. Pedro, where does the food come from? It comes from God, exactly. Cal, where does the food come from? It comes from God, exactly. You see, sometimes we go about our day, we have all this stuff going on, and we forget ultimately where things come from. It comes from God. Everything is from God. And in this letter, 2 Timothy, Timothy is given all these instructions that we have heard in the last few sermons, all these commands that he has been given. He has been given commands like this, fan into flame your gift. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Suffer for the gospel. Guard the gospel. Follow after sound gospel teaching. He has been given all these commands, but what can happen to us as Christians is we can get all these commands, but we can forget where the strength comes from to do all of these commands. And we must not forget where it comes from. It ultimately comes from God. Look at a few of these verses as we hear where the strength comes from for all these commands. Chapter 1, verse 6, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Where does His gift come from that Timothy has? It comes ultimately from God. We must not forget where the strength comes from. It comes from God. Verse 7, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Where does the power and love and self-control come from in the Christian life? It comes from God. Verse 8, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Where does the power come from? It comes from God. Look at verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So, who saved us? Where did our salvation come from? God, who called us. God, who gives us grace. God, 
Who gave us that grace from before the foundations of the world? God. It all comes from God. And we're called to guard the gospel, aren't we? But look at verse 12. But I am not ashamed, for I know him for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Who ultimately guards? It is God. And verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Who ultimately helps us to guard the gospel? It is God the Holy Spirit. In the Christian life, we know we're supposed to do things, but we forget where the strength comes from. It comes from God, and we need to rely on Him for strength. And so then Paul says to Timothy in chapter 2, verse 1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He needs strength for this life. If he is going to take on the ministry, he will have people who will oppress him. He will have people who will go against him. He will have people in the church who will go against him. And he is called by Paul to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's the command to be strengthened. But the command is a really interesting command, be strengthened. It's an interesting command because it is a present and passive command. And what I mean by that is this. It is given in present tense in such a way that it's almost ongoing. You need to be continually strengthened day by day in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And it is passive. What I mean by that is this. It is not strength that comes from within. It is strength that comes from outside of you. So the command is this, receive every single day the strength that comes from the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Timothy, here's what I want you to do. Accept, embrace, receive the strength of the Lord. That's your job. See, in this world, we all know we need strength, don't we? Everybody knows I need strength just to get up in the morning. I need strength for my work. I need strength for my day. I need strength for family life. I need strength. I need strength. And what this world will tell you, the source of strength is within, inside of you. Your willpower, that will get you through the day. It won't get you through the day. Your organization, you know, if you just organize everything right, all these gurus who tell you, if you just plan it out all right, these wisdom guys that we see on YouTube, if anybody's on YouTube, he's probably not that reliable of a source. And so we look for all this wisdom and organization and and think the strength is going to come from my organization with inside me. No, it will not. It won't come from willpower. It won't come from your organization. It will come from the Lord Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, if you receive and embrace the strength that He alone offers. And notice what He says. 
You then, my child, be strengthened, receive grace. That is in Christ Jesus. If someone were to come to me and they wanted to have a deep conversation with me, and they were to say, Shane, Shane, what is your favorite doctrine? Favorite doctrine in the Scriptures? I would have a good few of them. Justification, perseverance of the saints. I would have a good few doctrines that I hold precious. But one of the doctrines that I hold most precious, one of them in the list, is our union with Christ. That we are united with Christ, and that is where our strength comes from. He uses that phrase, in Christ Jesus. That is one of Paul's favorite phrases. In Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus, with Christ Jesus, from Christ Jesus. All of those phrases, they come as a package that theologians will call our union with Christ. That means this, once you believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're so attached to Him that every blessing that is in Christ becomes yours. You're so attached to Him that you are counted as righteous. That's what our union in Christ means. And in fact, all of our favorite Bible verses from Paul, a lot of them, come from this reality of our union with Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, therefore, there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Galatians 3.26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Ephesians 2 verse 10, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which were prepared by God beforehand. Romans chapter 6 verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2 verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You are once enemies, you were once away from Him, but because of your in Christ Jesus relationship, you are now with Him. 1 Corinthians verse 15 Chapter 15, 22, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all may be made alive. And 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake He made Him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in Him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Union with Christ. It is a precious and glorious and wonderful doctrine. And that is where we get our strength from. No longer do we need to be looking inside of us. We pray and we beg and we ask Him for strength. And He is so kind, so kind to give it to us. You know, I, I, many of you know I've been, I've been writing a lot recently um, in my dissertation, and I had this section in the pre preface where I thanked people 
And I had this one section where I thanked the Lord, Jesus Christ. Wonderful that you're able to write that in your dissertation, by the way, which makes it cool to write Christian uh, academics. And I said, I wanted to thank the Lord Jesus because there were lonely nights, two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, where I just wanted to give up. And, and people would say, the answer lies within your strength. No, it doesn't. I needed His help for the task. And there was moments at two or three o'clock in the morning where my Lord Jesus met me. I can't explain it. I can't tell you all the ins and outs of it. But He helped me. And He gave me the strength for my moment and my time of need. Brothers and sisters, He cares about your life. He cares about what you're going through. He knows you need strength. He knows that you're not going to find it within. Look to Him and ask Him to strengthen you. What does Timothy need this strength for? He needs this strength to help him in trust. We need this strength to help us in trust. Look at what it says in verse 2. You then verse 1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And the important command is that word, entrust. You are, you are to be strengthened to receive the strength of God by His grace in Christ Jesus, and you are to have strength to entrust. Now, here's the thing. It takes strength to entrust. It does. Think just a, a mundane example for the moment, your house keys. Who has your house keys? Your house keys, they are precious to you, aren't they? Hopefully. You keep them in a safe place. You keep them precious to you. When you have your house keys, what do you do with them? You give them to someone. You entrust them to that person. These are precious, and I'm now going to trust you to hold on to this. That's what entrusting does. It sees something as precious, and it also passes that thing on. But it takes strength to do that okay, am I actually going to trust this person? Now, step it up a notch. Your child. It takes strength to entrust your child to someone else. It takes a lot of strength to do that, to decide, okay, I'm going to take this being that's precious to me, and I'm going to entrust this being to someone else. I'll never forget the time we first entrusted our child to someone else. We were in Chicago. I was sitting down in the Cheesecake Factory. It was supposed to be all nice and romantic. But the woman on the other side of me was telling me how much she hated me. In tears. Why have you done this? Why have we left our child with someone else? It was our first date with leaving the child alone. It takes strength to entrust what is precious to us to someone else. That's what Paul is calling Timothy to do here. Timothy, you have something precious. 
and you need to entrust it. And what does that mean? If I'm going to entrust, it is precious and I pass it on. Those two realities. So what Timothy has, it is precious. What does he have? It is the gospel. He is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And is that not precious? Because of the gospel, we who are once enemies of God are now his friends. That's precious news. Because of the gospel, we who were once dead in our sins and transgressions have now been made alive in Christ. That is precious and good news. Because of the gospel, we who are once destined for eternity in hell are now awaiting eternity in heaven. That is precious and good news. In the gospel, Christ Jesus came. He stood in our place. He took the death, death that we deserved. He took the punishment and the wrath of God that you and I deserved. And He took my place and He bore my sins on the cross, not in part, but the whole. It was nailed to the cross. He suffered there for me. He was buried, and on the third day He rose again, which guarantees me who believes in Christ new life. That is precious. It is precious news. And that precious news we are called to take it and to give it carefully over and to entrust it to other people. We are called to pass it on. Now, I believe as a church, we are called to do that in a very general sense. Take this truth and, and pass it on. Take this truth and entrust it to others. And we see this in many ways through, through the life of this church. We see it in the women's meeting where women take the truth of the gospel and they pass it on to each other. We see it in our youth group where, where Peter and Peyton, they, they take the truth and they pass it on to other teenagers. We see it in the kids' club where you take the truth and you pass it on. But this idea here is a taking of the truth. It's not just general, it's very specific. Verse 2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men. This entrusting, it is a passing on that keeps going on and on throughout the generation. So first, it started, look at verse 12. Go back to chapter 1, verse 12. It started first with Paul. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So first, the gospel was entrusted to Paul. And then verse 13, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in, the faith, in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So here's what happens. Paul has been entrusted with the gospel. It has been given to him. And Paul is saying, I'm going to give it to you, Timothy, and now it is entrusted to you. And now Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, it is your job to take this precious good news and it's your job to entrust it 
to others. Entrusted to other faithful men. And we as a church, both men and women, need to buy into that vision of entrusting the word of truth to faithful men. Because in this verse, what we have is a great commission verse. In the Great Commission, we are called to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, as Jesus said, all that I have commanded you. Now, what the disciples did with that is they went out in the book of Acts and they pretty much went wild. The book of Acts is superb evidence that Jesus actually rose from the grave. These guys were locking themselves in rooms, and suddenly they meet Christ Jesus, and they go out and they proclaim the gospel in the book of Acts. And here's what they did in the book of Acts. They preached, they prayed, they planted, and they appointed. That's what you see throughout the book of Acts. They preached, they prayed, they planted, and they appointed. And there's one section in the book of Acts that I want you to turn to, and I want you to see that this verse, in verse 2, is actually a Great Commission verse. Turn to Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 14, verse 19, and you will see in Acts chapter 14, verse 19, you will see those words that they prayed, that they planted, that they preached, and that they appointed. Chapter 14, verse 19. But the Jews, Acts chapter 14, verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. On the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derb. When they had preached the gospel to the city, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, where they had started churches, strengthening souls of disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Here's what you have. Paul, they went into the town. They preached. Then they prayed. Then they planted the church. And then they appointed elders, men in the church, who were able to teach. So from the Great Commission, they preached, they prayed, they planted, and then they knew In order to fulfill this great commission, we need to appoint faithful men. And then you come, turn then to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul gives the instructions for who these men, who these overseers, who these elders, who these pastors are supposed to be in churches. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder or pastor, 
he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And it continues on to describe all the characteristics of an elder. What does the elder need to be? He needs to be a faithful man, a husband of one wife, who is able to teach. And so then we get back to our verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is a great commission verse. This is something that we as a church, Passage Baptist Church, men and women need to embrace. We need to long for, pray for, desire that the gospel will be passed on and entrusted to faithful men, which means we need to be a training church. And yes, we put our heart and soul into training the women in this church, and we want to do that. Yes, we will put our heart and soul into training the children in this church, and we want to do that. But brothers and sisters, we need to buy in to this great commission reality that we need to see men trained in this church. So when you are sitting there, and it's challenging for some of the women here, I get it. Because the world might be saying to you, the, the message that is being proclaimed to you is this. When you see a man standing up here, you need to ask the question, why? Why is he there and not me? But the Scripture would say, when it comes to the activity and role of the church, the woman's calling in this moment is to say, praise God that he's up there. And praise God that the gospel is going forth. And praise God that people are being trusted with the gospel. This is all our calling and something all of us are to pray for and to long for. So what we're going to see in this church is men getting trained. We're not in charge for, of how many men we have or what they're called to do, but we want to see men trained. So once a month on, on Fridays and worship in the Word, we're, we're, going, to, we're going to try and have, have, have men preaching and teaching different men and growing in that. And what we want to do is come and celebrate that as a church. And no, not every man is called to teach, nor should every man teach. But we've all been given different gifts. And I am convinced of this. Every man should teach in his home. No, you don't need to get on a pulpit. No, you don't need to be an expert exegete. But you do need to teach in your home. So we need to help the men in this church. Don't buy into the lie, women, that men should apologize for being men. They shouldn't. No, they shouldn't be misogynistic. No, they shouldn't be overbearing, controlling. They should care and love. 
But don't buy into the lie of this world. We're created as men and women, beautifully, wonderfully, equally, of dignity, value, and worth, but we have different roles. We are different. We are different. So it takes strength to entrust. And it also takes strength to suffer. That's the, the last command that he gives in the passage. Be, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. With that strength, entrust what you have to other men. Allow it go to other faithful men. And then it takes strength to suffer. Verse 3, share in suffering. And what he does is he gives three kind of quick-fire images of what it means to share in suffering. He needs the strength that God provides in order that he can share in the suffering because if he is going to follow after Jesus in that day, if he is going to be a faithful minister and follower after Jesus, it's not going to be popular. He is going to be persecuted. And so he needs to suffer well. He needs God's strength in his life so that he can suffer well. And the three images he gives is that of a soldier, of an athlete, and of a farmer. Share in suffering first, the soldier. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Suffer as a good soldier. To be enlisted in the Roman army back in the day was in a sense to suffer. To be single-minded, to be devoted and dedicated to one task, Often they were inscripted in the army and would sign up for 20 years or more. It varied at different times, but they were committed to that. Many wouldn't get married. Yes, they had concubines, but they were solely committed to the instructions of their commanding officer. They were dedicated to the task, and in that sense they suffered as soldiers. What Paul is calling Timothy as a leader of the church and by extension Christians in the church, we are called to suffer as good soldiers, to be dedicated and devoted to the task, to not get tangled up like fish caught in a net in the trivial pursuits of this world, but to be only fixed on the calling that my Savior has given me for my life, not to get tangled up in the mess but to be devoted unto Him. And as Christians, we can get tangled up in the mess, can't we? It even happens to us in our church life. In our church life, we can get tangled into the, the trivial and the mundane things. We can get caught up in things like this. The types of songs we sing or we don't sing, we get caught up in that. We get caught up in the type of biscuits we have or don't have, the types of chairs we have or don't have, the types of children's programs we have or don't have, the types of people we have or don't have. We ha don't have enough young people. We don't have enough old people. We don't have enough babies. We don't have enough whatever. 
We get caught up in the types of signs we have, whether they're beautiful or not. We get caught up in the type of curtains we have. We get caught up in the, in the time of our meeting. We get caught up in the day of our meetings. We get caught up in the length of our meetings. We get caught up in whether the room is warm or the room is cold. We get caught up and entangled in all this stuff of church life, which ultimately don't matter one bit. Yes, I'm glad. I'm glad that we have the heating on. But I don't think it matters for eternity. Someone has to make that decision, and I'm glad for it. But ultimately, brothers and sisters, you have friends, and you have family, and you have co-workers that are destined for hell. And sometimes we are worried about the biscuits. Foolishness. Foolishness. We are to be devoted unto Him. And yes, I'm glad for these things. I'm glad we have chairs to sit on. I'm glad we have tea and coffee. I'm glad we have all of those things. Hear that. I'm thankful for that. But let's not get caught up in it. Let's be good soldiers devoted for the task. That can happen in our church life, but it can also happen in our personal lives. We get tangled up in the silly things of this world. Do you ever get caught scrolling? Get caught scrolling. I did want people to put up their hands, but you know what? I'll leave you alone. You get caught scrolling. So you go onto YouTube, and you go on for a good reason. Okay, I'm going onto YouTube because my computer's broken, and I want to fix it. So you go on. And two hours later, you're looking at a cat jumping off a roof, killing itself. What on earth is going on? You're getting caught up and entangled in the silly pursuits of the world. It happens to us on Instagram and TikTok all the time. We scroll, and, and we started with, with good. I, I wanted to see how my family were getting on. I wanted to see how people were getting on. But then suddenly, we're watching this, this, this guy drinking a protein shake, thinking he's all amazing, and we're trying to learn wisdom from him. Who cares? It's the trivial matters of this world. We need to be soldiers for the Lord Jesus Christ. Serve Him, follow Him, live for Him. And again, yes, have downtime, of course. But if you're getting caught up in it every single day, and you're saying, you know what, I'm too busy for meeting this person or that person, but you've spent three hours scrolling through, there's something in balance there. We need help to live as good soldiers. We need strength from God to live as good soldiers. And then he gives another picture, the picture of the athlete. Verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The Olympics were first formed in 776 B.C., which means it was around at the time of Paul and Timothy. There were rules and guidelines if you were going to compete in the Olympics. Initially, you had to be Greek-born, only Greek-born. 
And then you had to commit, sign up, and take an oath for 10 months of intensive training before you took part in the games. And then, of course, you had to keep all the rules of the games themselves. You had to do all of this. It takes commitment, the commitment of an athlete to earn the crown. Brothers and sisters, we are called to run the race, to commit to running the race no matter what. And it will be hard, and it takes endurance, and sometimes it is suffering but we are to run as good athletes of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a man I've been writing on for a few months now. His name is Benjamin Keach, and I've been writing on his sermons. He was a man in England in the 1600s who was persecuted a lot. He was dragged out of a church while he was preaching. Can you imagine that? Dragged out of the church. He was mocked. His life was threatened. He was pilloried, which means he was put in stocks in, in the town and, and mocked for hours in his own hometown as they threw stuff at him, and they got his books, and they burned his books in front of him. And when he was being led to one of his trials, he said this to his friends. The cross is the way to the crown. The cross is the way to the crown. We're going to suffer in this world. Our Lord Jesus, he suffered the cross on the way to the crown. And his people are called to continue in endurance and suffering as good athletes. And the final picture he gives of the strength that we are to have is as the hard-working farmer, good old Farmer Joe, verse, <laughs> verse 6, it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share in the crops. We are to be like soldiers fixed on the task. We are to be like athletes training for the task and keeping the rules of the game. And we are to be like the hard-working farmer who gets very little praise for his activities, who nobody really sees, who wakes up early in the morning, who had very few tools to help himself, plowed the land, and worked hard working there, is this description of working to the point of exhaustion. That's who we're called to be, hard-working Christian farmers for the task that the Lord Jesus has given to us so that we might receive a harvest. What kind of harvest do we receive as we work as hard-working farmers? John Stott, he talked about two harvests that we can expect to receive. The first harvest, if we work as hard-working farmers, is the harvest of holiness. Yes, we are justified by God. But holiness takes work by the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever sat there in your life and said to yourself, I'm just struggling with this sin. 
I'm struggling with my life. I'm struggling with my Christianity. I'm not following God as I ought. And you just sit there. But holiness takes the work of a farmer. Holiness would mean this. I have to take this and open it up and read it. That's the work of a farmer. And sometimes it's, it's hard work. As I take it and open it just before work or just before bed and I'm in Leviticus and there's cleanliness laws and, and that's hard work of a farmer. But if I'm called to a harvest of holiness, I read and I pray and I gather with God's people and I do the work of a farmer. We're, we're trying to get the harvest without doing anything. I want to get the blessing. I want to get back, Lord. I was following you years ago in a dedicated and devoted way, and I want to get back to that place. I want to get back there. Make it happen. The Lord will by His Spirit, but He uses means of prayer and means of Scripture reading and means of gathering with God's people, the harvest of holiness. And secondly, John Stott said there's the harvest of souls. We are to do the hard work of farmers so that we can see and reap a harvest of souls. It takes hard work to share the gospel with people. Have you noticed that? Have you ever thought to yourself, you know, I need to share Jesus with that person, right? And you're thinking to yourself, right? You plan the whole thing out. You're like, okay, I need to go there, I need to do that. But if I say this, then they'll say this, and then, and then I'm not too sure. And then suddenly you, you kind of give up. It, it takes hard work to share the gospel, to see the crop, to see the harvest of souls come in. But this is what we're to dedicate our lives to. As a church, we're called to do this. Easter is coming up, right? And every Easter, we have an Easter team. And we need hard-working farmers to be a part of that team. We need you, not just the oldies, we need the kids. We need you to be part of that team. Because I tell you what, I'm rubbish on my own. I'm terrible on my own. If this was just me, I would be in my bedroom speaking to the wall because I couldn't do any of this on my own. We need the body of Christ doing the work of the body of Christ, serving together. And so that, that link has gone out. Have you signed up for it? It takes the hard work of a farmer. You might need to give up your Easter weekend away that's the hard work of a farmer. You might need to take some of your hours off work and sacrifice some of those hours. But what are those hours? What is your holiday compared to souls knowing Christ? We should long for this. Yes, there are many other ways. That's one example. But you get what I mean. 
I'm not going to be watching you. I'm not going to be checking the sign-up sheet. But all I'm just asking us and encouraging us to do is do the hard work of a soldier, the hard work of an athlete, the hard work of a farmer. But hear me. It's the most important thing I will say. Do not forget where the strength comes from. It comes from God. And so Paul closes with this verse, and I'll close with the verse to you, verse 7. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. It's not that Paul said anything difficult to Timothy. What Paul is asking Timothy to do, I want you to take these words that I've said to you, I want you to go away, and I want you to think how you're going to live that out in your life. And that's exactly what I want you to do this morning. I want you to take away these words of the farmer, the soldier, and the athlete. And I want you to go away to home today and think about, how am I going to do this, Lord? Give me understanding. I want to serve you in your strength. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, for the practical nature of your word, and I pray that you'd help us as a church to be faithful to it. Help us by your strength to live for you. Help us by your strength to see you as primary in our life. Help us, Lord, be soldiers and athletes and farmers for the gospel. In your name, amen.